These are the confessions of American Christians repenting of American Christianity. This is the world we made. What would you guys say to somebody who's listening who just feels worn down, who, who feels oppressed by this whole subject, by being a Christian, living in this world with this kind of evil? I mean, I can picture somebody listening who mourns this stuff, who, who hates it, but feels overwhelmed by all the sin that's out there and, and maybe feels uncomfortable trying to deal with this stuff. The way to think about it is every generation has its battles to fight and its reformations to win. And for 2000 years, the church has been perfecting through conflict, the fight over what it means for Jesus to be made man, what it means for there to be a Trinity, what it means for justification to be by faith. And now what it means to be made in God's image for the last 200 years years that's been our it's fight it's been anthropology yeah. it's been that's what it's been and that's where we're at and it's mm-hmm. our privilege to fight that fight and it's our privilege to work it out and to have conflict and it's our privilege to have heretics among us to hit up against and to push up against the bounds of things i, I agree i just it's also our privilege to be like this is personally painful to all of us in various ways but i agree your frame is the right one it is our privilege to fight well it. okay just, okay That's a very good point, Ben. And so let me say that really my awakening to abortion was when, because of my fornication, I got my lover pregnant before marriage and was very, very, very personally confronted with abortion. It would have been the perfect thing to do. We were out in Oregon at the time. For Joe Bailey, who was a famous evangelical, and Ken Taylor, who was a famous evangelical, for their children to abort their child instead of repenting. And so I want people to understand, this is not a hypothetical for me from the moment of my sin with my present wife, Mary Lee. And the idea of killing this little one that God has given us, even in our sin, was the most awful thought I could conceive of. I couldn't even conceive of making a decision to kill that child. And I don't feel morally superior to anybody who has done it. I just want to say that do we love when we have sex? Honestly, do we love when we make love? How do we feel about our wives? And if we love our wives, how could we ever countenance obstructing the fruitfulness of their womb? I just think that, you know, you say it makes you uncomfortable to talk about these things. And maybe we've arrived at the one time in history when if we don't talk about them, they will continue to be dead. (laughs) And that's what I would say about sex and love today. It's dead. It's mutual masturbation in many Christian homes. That's all sex is. With AIDS, whether the AIDS are movies or who knows what the AIDS are. (laughs) Fantasies that you're making love to a member of your small group. Mm. And what we have to do is oppose abortion. Yes, some people should be outside of the pharmacies where the abortifacients are all bought now. 
and some outside of Planned Parenthood where some surgical abortions are still done. And some should write their congressmen and their senators, but what we really need is pastors preaching the beauty of womanhood and the beauty of the womb and the beauty of breasts for something other than erotic stimulation and the beauty of Eve being the life giver and the beauty of man loving woman for giving life and the sorrow of those who can't have children. All these things were just understood until a few years ago, but now we've lost them and we're not going to stop abortion until the church reclaims a love for life and a love for the part of the human race that God has given the gift of life-giving too. And don't you find now that you're married, Ben, that you have more aggression and faith for that fight? Haven't you felt the improvement of that by being married yes. to Megan? Yes, I have. What about you, Jake? Have you found that being married and having children has improved your will to fight? Absolutely. It has? Yeah. Why is that? Wouldn't you get more conservative as a husband and father and pastor and less willing to engage in the fight? <laughs> Nathan? Well, you want to know my real answer to the question? Yeah, I do. I find the whole topic demoralizing. And the reason is because Jake was saying we need a doctrine of embodiment or, or, or that's what we're working through. And I'm just thinking, yeah, yeah, we need that. Yeah, we need joy. And then you, you say joy in, in wombs and breasts, not, not just erotically, but uh, life-giving. And I'm just like, yeah, 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 I agree with all of that. But the crux of the matter for me is my wife says to me, we're pregnant. And what does my heart do in that moment? Oh, no. Yeah, it, my, 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 my heart does, oh, crap, how are we going to pay for this? <laughs> I cannot make myself happy. I can be obediently happy. And over time, I grow more obediently happy. But in my sinful, dark mm -hmm. heart of hearts, am I really happy about any of this stuff? Well, okay, so people listening need to know that I know you and Meredith really well. And Nathan, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and the fact is, yes, you really do love your wife's fertility and fruitfulness. And it's obvious in your eyes. When I see you, and I don't see you a lot, but it's obvious. Now, does that mean that you don't think, oh, crap, we can't have more children? We're already poor. But the, the two aren't mutually exclusive. You can love your wife and her fruitfulness and the children she presents you and also go, oh, crap, when you find out she's pregnant. But is, there is murder in that, oh, crap. You know what I mean? Well, like It's a dark <laughs> thing if you let yourself explore it for uh, half a second. is murder in simply a marital quarrel? Well, yeah, maybe once or twice. Well, no, seriously. I mean, doesn't Jesus say that if you call your brother a fool, you've murdered him? Murder is much more common in life than we want to admit. If you actually preach the Sixth Commandment, you're going to get pretty depressed about how often you're a murderer. I'm not trying to diminish the guilt of murder, but I'm just trying to say that we actually are much more familiar with murder and adultery than we want to admit. It's much more common for us to commit those sins than we ever want to think about ourselves. And so if what you want to do here is you want to talk about how hard it is to be a husband 
and how hard it is to be a father. I'm all for that. But honestly, while you were talking, I was thinking about, well, how hard is it to be married? Why do you think we go berserk at weddings, spending countless dollars and and having people take whole days of their lives to come to our weddings and then giving gifts and then having one service for one couple and then writing all the stupid thank you notes and having dearly beloved we're gathered in the presence of God and these witnesses, having all these witnesses and then having certificates. In other words, my point is anything that is hard and important needs help to do it. How many marriages would survive if we didn't surround them with all that ritual and investment? Or how many marriages have been protected from dying and being betrayed? Because all the investment and ritual and ceremonies and days and practices and counseling and on and on and on. So what I'm trying to say is godliness is hard work. Sanctification is hard work. Everybody likes to say that marriage is sanctifying. And I think we'd all agree. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's an idea. Each child is sanctifying in his or her own way. <laughs> For dads, I'm sitting here thinking about what how, how many do they have? 10? 11? I want to say 9, but No, I think it's at least 10. I could be wrong. But I remember he'd tell me that he just found out she was pregnant every time he had this like Eeyore look on his face. And one time in particular, we went to McDonald's for breakfast. And we sat down at the table and he says, well, I just found out that pregnant again. And I started giggling because I just thought he was so cute. The way every time he was going to have another child, he was all depressed. And they did such a good job teaching and raising their children. And so I wasn't depressed, but then I didn't have to do the work of paying for the child. But then he looked at me after I started laughing. And he said, and we were using a form of birth control that's supposed to be 99% effective. <laughs> and I really lost it. I don't know, Nathan. Isn't it hard to be honest? Isn't it hard to not steal? Isn't it hard to get up in the morning and work? Isn't it hard to go be to bed at night instead of looking at pornography? Isn't it hard to go to church Sunday morning? Isn't it hard to write a sermon? Well, but you say, mm-hmm. Why do we feel that when it comes to the blessing of children, we can moan and groan and obstruct them? And somehow we're justified in subverting the normal course of nature there. Why don't we do that with marriage too? Why don't we just all get sex dolls? Sex dolls don't talk back at you and don't get pregnant. It's so inconvenient to be married. Haven't you found this to be true? It's possible. There is that possibility. Which is why, Jake, I think what you're saying is, let's be valiant. It's just the work, right? Yeah, you can be mourning the evil of the world that we live in. You can hate it. You can recognize it in yourself. And you can take a step back outside of yourself and say, hey, every generation has their fights and their battles. It sucks. The world sucks. Sin is real. Evil is real. It's oppressive. It's all around us. And yet Jesus wins. And... We've got a, a fight ahead of us, and that's just, that's it. We resign ourselves to the fight, and then we fight it. And we trust that Jesus wins in the end. And that's why I was reading this morning Psalm 37. And that was what was actually in my head when I said what I said, because this is the attitude of God's people, and it's still up on my iPad. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. 
Be not envious of wrongdoers. They'll soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. The evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart. Their bows shall be broken. And he just goes on from there. It's a really long psalm, but it's just over and over and over again. You're surrounded by the wicked all the time. Stop fretting about them. They'll be cut off. Yeah, but here's sure. the problem. What, what he just said was that it was his own sin that caused him to grieve. And so I suspect that as you look back on your life, you wish you had not spent as many years not understanding the significance of sexuality, of being a man, of God's truth. In other words, so many of the wicked are ourselves. That's the problem right. that we have with abortion is we have met the enemy and he is us. Well, and in that sense, mm-hmm. I feel Ben's tension because I'm like, yes, I believe wholeheartedly in what Jake just read. And there is deformity within me that mm-hmm. is crippling, that is difficult, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. is of my generation that would have been a different kind at least in a different generation. And that sucks. There are things that were taken from me that I will not get back in this lifetime. Um, And God is good and he restores us and he Mm. defeats evil and he wins and we win. And that's all true. And it really is painful. Jake, you Mm -hmm. read that and I wonder whether that is not the answer to Nathan when he talks about the difficulty of having another pregnancy and child. I wonder how much of it is relative deprivation in that he looks at himself as a Christian being committed to having children, being committed to his wife being a woman, and that's part of what adds to his, oh crap, another child. In other words, I'm wondering whether his, oh crap, another child is not actually him fretting because of the wicked. Would he really say, oh crap, another child, if he had not been acculturated and if i felt like there were support systems in my society that wanted to help like me everybody was going to hmm. rejoice but that's yeah. not the experience of our families when they right. go to their christian families yeah there's there's one scene from bonfire of the vanities a novel which i don't like and have never finished but there's a scene where the anti-hero the big business tycoon dude is standing by a newsstand and he sees cosmopolitan magazine or something like this he sees these magazines with these pictures of women on them and he's just angry that he lives in this society that's throwing all of this stuff at him constantly and then punishing him and he's not a christian and i don't think tom wolf was a christian but he just has this sense of kind of helpless anger like why are you setting me up to fail and then punishing me for, and he's just being self-aggrandizing. You know, he just wants to be able to sin in mm-hmm. the character in the novel. But I, the, the reason that stuck with me is because it's hard not to 
feel like that. I'm not actually being set up for success here. Society isn't catching me. And, and the fact is, it would be viciously, brutally ungrateful of God for me to actually think that because I have a wonderful church. I have a wonderful group of people in my life that do catch me in all kinds of places. And I have people that would catch me financially, people that there's nothing that God hasn't provided. And I have a God that that catches me, so to speak. We're talking in some ways past each other, I think, in even dealing with these tensions, because we're talking about being oppressed by the overwhelming evil out there. And then we're also talking about being oppressed by the evil in our own hearts. But we're also talking about the ways that they interface with each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a way of being overwhelmed. To the, we were talking about Mother Teresa earlier. And Mother Teresa, I, I forget the exact quote, but she had a thing that she would often say, a type of thing that she would often say, if I think about trying to help the whole world, or I think about the evil of the whole world, I do nothing. But if I think about helping one person, or if I think about opposing the evil next door, then maybe I can do something. And that way of actually being oppressed by the overwhelming evil of the world out there is a way that we get crippled in a way that we don't act because we don't see then our own sin and our our neighbor and the people around us. And we don't have a, a hope that Jesus is in control of the evil out there. And so we have to be able to, when we think about the big picture, we have to see God in his heaven and fret not because of evildoers. And then let that free us to then take the steps and look around us and look at our own hearts and look at the fact that I have seven kids and it's hard. And I don't know that I want more than seven kids. And that's hard. And I feel the pain and the pressure of, oh no, we're pregnant. And I feel the pain and the pressure of, we can't get pregnant. And, but there's a way to be hamstrung by all of it that we have to, that we have to fight against. I think you're, what you're not saying is that righteous Lot was unrighteous to be oppressed by the injustice and lewd conduct of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. There is a place for mourning right. the sins of our nation and things that are around us. There is a kind of crippling, self-defeating other category of self-oppression that we need to avoid. So yes, I think Ben, but I don't think Ben and Jake, if we want to take them as the representative of these two views are actually disagreeing. I don't think. Well, yeah, they are, but that's the disagreement. It's in scripture. Both sides are in scripture. You've got Psalm 73, very similar, but opposite from the one that you read 34, where he goes on and on lamenting the wicked, that their eyes are fat, that they're proud, that they stride across the mass of humanity and all this stuff, and then whom have I in heaven but you? In other words, as he lists the wickedness and how he can't stand it, Mm -hmm. all right, that is recorded in Scripture and therefore is part of the prayer book of Scripture. And then you have Psalm 34, although it's very constrained at the end of 73. Psalm 37 37. 37 is, is... on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And so I think that both of these laments, you saying, no, 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 I'm not going to gnash. And he's saying, oh, but it's so, isn't this always what friendship and what a marriage and what our different children, all our children are either Ben or you, Jake. 
<laughs> There's always a child that's Jake, always a child that's Ben. There's a Jake and Jake Ben in every marriage. In every session meeting. <laughs> yep. Or as Chesterton would say, there's a Jake and Ben inside of me right now. (laughs) 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 But I want to go back and I want to point to something here. I think that in thinking about the slaughter of the unborn, we need to keep in mind what we say at the end of the book, which is there's an extended section talking about the glory of fruitfulness. It is impossible to oppose abortion without restoring the glory of womanhood. It's impossible. Because it is never enough to say no. You always have to oppose evil by saying yes to the good. And it's a principle that I have learned more and more as I've gotten older. And one of the ways I sometimes say it to men is, look, the way to end your love of strange flesh on the internet, pornography, is not simply to say pornography is awful, I'm violating the seventh commandment, all of this. Love your wife. And as you love your wife, it will make it so much easier to say no to adultery, right? And I want us to keep that firmly in mind that we're not going to be able to oppose abortion and get rid of it in the church and outside the church by saying abortion's a violation of the sixth commandment. It's the taking of human <laughs> life. God has commanded us that whoever takes the life of man by man shall his life be because in the image of God. But in the end, we have to affirm that God loves and creates life and that Satan hates life and kills it. And mm-hmm. therefore, we are to love life. And God has given us one half of the human race that at the center of their personhood is life giving us. And we have to love that. Now, I'm saying this because if we take our eye off that ball, we then won't see properly the negative. I'd almost say that you're never going to see the horror of abortion until you see the beauty of life. Yeah. Because we never hear the testimony of these babies that have been killed. There aren't any Holocaust museums to them. They don't leave behind Uncle Tom's cabin. Nobody has written the Uncle Tom's cabin for the unborn child, okay? And so... It's very, very difficult to oppose the particular form of violation of the Sixth Commandment we refer to as abortion, because there are no victims. The victims are gagged. The victims never show up. They never talk. And so when it comes to abortion, we have to be committed to both God's yes and his no. And if we don't have them both firmly in mind, we're not going to be effective And in order to have the no firmly in mind, again, we have to have the beauty of life in mind before we feel the horror of oppression and murder. In other words, this is a multifaceted thing. There are a lot of aspects to this thing. And I want to say in that connection that in the end, at this point in my life, I realize that the most helpful thing to me in my life in opposing feminism and abortion has been my love for my wife and for my mother-in-law and for my mother and now for your wives that if we stop and consider what feminism and what abortion have done to women Mm. themselves not just their babies but women and how humiliated women are to be women today and to be mothers and to have children do you realize this how brash brassy women are so demeaning to the women who are godly and give themselves to motherhood. 
I think that's another aspect of opposing abortion that we absolutely have to see and be committed to. That we see the assault upon the women who are most precious in our lives by this evil world and that we take it personally. So how do we do that? I think first we have to cultivate the ability of seeing it and taking it personally. I think we have to feel acutely the insults to our wives when their mothers, who claim to be Christian, are dissing them at getting pregnant. I think we should teach our people to have a hissy fit when medical professionals propose as a solution to a fetal anomaly that they terminate the pregnancy. I think it would be helpful to our wives to see us go a little bit berserk. Now, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think it's hard. What has happened to you? What has happened to you? What has happened? I don't know. My mind has been back at, it's been back at the friend who called me when I was a freshman in college on her way to have her abortion. So this woman, what is it? Abortion in particular is a place that I would go to the courthouse into Planned Parenthood as a college student before I ever came to our church. From the begin, and part of it maybe has to do with this young woman who called me, called me drunk to tell me about being pregnant, and I thought I had talked her out of having the abortion, and then, and then she called me on the way up to to Indy to kill the baby, and I didn't, I never talked to her parents, I never did anything apart from, I didn't see that I should have, and so I think about that, and I think about another college student who I sat with while he processed the fact that his older brother was aborted because he had fetal defects. And so they were only going to have two kids or three kids, I think. And so they aborted that kid so that they could have the baby, the youngest in the family. And he was supposed to be the golden child who's going to go into medicine. And he is going into medicine. But I remember him sitting there just sort of crying. We were processing the fact that to his ears, our church talks about abortion all the time up in Bloomington. And that wasn't the case, but that's what he heard because that's what he, what he dealt with, what he processed. It's just the open wound of his life. I shouldn't be alive. I feel guilty about my existence because my mother shouldn't have killed my older brother. And then that means they wouldn't have had me. So my whole existence is I have to live up to the fact that my brother's dead and I have to, I have to make his sacrifice worth it. You know what they call that in the literature? They call it survivor's guilt. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I have a lot of that because of my brothers that died. Although it wasn't a decision, but you do feel like, mm. why do you rate being alive? Go ahead. So anytime you deal with this sort of thing, whether you're dealing with it in yourself or whether you're dealing with it in other people, or whether you're dealing it with it in the world at large, there's a weight to it. And there's no way to combat the oppressive weight of it all, apart from always bearing in mind the judgment seat of God. That's where Psalm 73 goes. I thought I was going to quit. I thought I was going to give up. I was oppressed until I went into the house of God, and then I considered their end, right? And that's why I think it's essential that we are constantly preaching to ourselves and to each other, the judgment seat of God, fret not because of evildoers, there is a bigger picture that we have to keep in mind. Otherwise, you will drown under the weight of it. And it's not righteous to drown in despair. And it is, in fact, crippling and keeps you from doing the work that's necessary. And so that's just sort of what I've been the last 10 minutes sort of stewing mm-hmm. in. There's a implicit accusation that sort of happens 
that, well, unless you are projecting a certain sort of weight about this, then you're being glib about it, or you're not considering your own sin, or you're not considering the deep evil of the world. And we have to be able to hold all those things in tension, which is what we've been circling and dancing around. So that's just sort of where my mind's... So in other words, instead of the positive being celebrating womanhood and life and fruitfulness in the marriage bed, we celebrate the judgment seat of God. But that's antithetical to everything that the church stands for today, reformed and otherwise. It's biblical. It's right. It's true. But do you know anybody who takes comfort from the judgment of the wicked? Well, that's why we have to sing the Psalms. Because the answer is yes. (laughs) The answer is yes if you let yourself... Yes, if you give, if you let the Bible give you permission to, but it's hard, and it's hard to want to go there. We do it in movies, so we, we must be capable. <laughs> that is what the horror industry exists for, and what every superhero movie does. Oh, that is <laughs> right. I shouldn't be laughing, but that's pretty funny. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, we entertain ourselves with it, but we don't pray it. I love those psalms, but I always love them vicariously through Jesus and David. I don't feel like I should love them directly. <laughs> and you, I, I, that's a confession. I'm not arguing that at all. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think we all understand that. But I have to admit that when it comes to my mother and my mother-in-law and my wife and now my daughters and daughters-in-law, I could maybe get to that point. When you see the meek and humble oppressed, that awakens a special kind of anger that I don't feel about myself being opposed. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I always yeah. think I deserve it, but man, I don't think my wife deserves it. Mm-hmm. Because the four of us are men, and we're sitting here discussing the termination of the lives of helpless, silent, powerless little ones in the womb of a woman, it would be easy for people to judge us harshly. And to think that we do not understand why a Christian woman would take drugs in the privacy of her own master bedroom, bathroom, to kill a child, and would feel that she has no choice other than to do that. Because I think anybody that says no to a moral evil is judged to lack compassion today. And so I think it would be good if we were able to, one of us, to make it very clear that we do understand how people can commit that sin. Well, I said it earlier in a roundabout way. I said there was murder in my heart when I said, ah, crap, it's going to cost. And the reason I said that was not to make some kind of hoity-toity spiritual-sounding point. The reason I said that is because there's murder in my heart. Because I would like to see my baby die rather than have to come up with more money rather than face rearranging my bills it's not even that i'm afraid we won't have money i'm afraid we'll have to cancel one of our streaming services that's how casual and quick my heart is to murder and i'm not trying to be a martyr and say i'm the worst of us i just think i've described everybody probably one way or another and you have it's just the way that we are yeah, my baby's life or Netflix. It really is. That, that really is. And, deep. and your visceral heart instinct is, well, Netflix. Yeah. And that's so cruel. I have difficulty thinking this issue through 
obviously my wife and I are beyond the possibility of having children, but the people we love most are in those years and the temptation. And I think one of the things we have to say is there is not the separation between contraception and birth control and abortion that everybody acts as if and speaks as if is there. Mm -hmm. Those three things are cheek by jowl right next to each other. It's very hard to define when you're dealing with one and not the other. And so I want to say that what is often called contraception is actually not contraception, but birth control. And birth control is preventing a living human being from exiting the womb of his mother or her mother. And abortion is intentionally knowing what you're doing. But most abortions are committed by people who have plausible deniability about what they're doing. And there are days, and there were moments here in this conversation where I found myself wishing that we had not decayed to the point where we were having the discussions we were having. Because as I listened to them, they were discussions that would have been inconceivable in any prior year of human history. And that's where I do get angry because I'm like, when, when my brain, when my heart says Netflix yeah, instead of my it's child, like, I want society yeah, to yeah, say, yeah. we will put you in an electric chair. Yeah, yeah. Don't think about that, you idiot. I know, but mm -hmm. it, it's how banal yeah. life is at this point in history. But man, I need the restraints of... I know, and it's why we have to encourage each other in the church. And one of the things we know that people listening don't know is how so many of the people in our church have given themselves to celebrating the marriage bed and fruitfulness and life. the world we made and the writing and speaking of tim bailey please give at patreon.com forward slash out of our minds to support warhorn media more generally you can make a tax deductible donation at warhornmedia.com forward slash give and don't forget to rate and review subscribe and share thanks and god bless